See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself, and they may proclaim my praise. When I was 10 years old, uh, one of my beloved ancestors, uh, you know, died. Greek immigrant uh, ancestor. His, we called him Nuno. He was my dad's godfather. And um, it was my first funeral. So I was 10 years old. It was my first funeral. And while I had known people who had died and heard of other relatives who had died, it was the first time that I'd been in a funeral home looking at an open casket, a dead body. And I was, I sat in this chair off to the side and just stared at the casket. And Greek funerals, there's lots of people, lots of people crying and, you know, doing their, their grief, grieving thing. And um, I just stared at the casket and I was trying to figure out what I was looking at. I was trying to figure out, you know, what I was seeing. Um, was this him? Was, was he... Uh, was this actually his body? Would he get up again? I tried to imagine, like I used my imagination to imagine him coming up out of the casket. And it was, you know, and I was just like looking there. And I knew he wouldn't, but I just, I was just trying to figure it all out. And what I had learned about this topic of death over the course of my, you know, previous 10 years. And I think for many of us, as I was thinking about this um, passage and today, that that's how death appears in our lives, that it's like an old relative who visits every once in a while and, uh, you know, you don't see the relative very often and then he disappears, comes back, and um, kind of an awkward visit. And similarly, just like a, a parent that introduces us to a, like, you have a weird uncle, any of you have weird, like a weird uncle or a weird aunt or some relative, and then mom and dad have to, like, say, well, the reason why Uncle So-and-So is like that is because of that. Well, I think that's the way death appears to us sometimes, too, is that a parent or some grown-up says, well, this is what death is like. And just a, side, a quick side note, when my, um, one of my grandparents died, my sister had had a, uh, her daughter, my niece, was maybe two or three. And uh, carry, my sister carried Andrea into the funeral home and Andrea saw the open casket, because Greek funerals are always open caskets. We want to have all of it, you know, right in our face. So, and Andrea, our little two-and-a-half, three-year-old niece, looked at the body, and she looked at my sister, and she said, is this heaven? Because she, you know, like, death, heaven, I mean, like it was, anyway. So that's how we're introduced, I think, often to death, when we're very young. And um, we learn that de death is a part of life, that it's a fact that death is just a part of life. And, uh, you know, our parents say things like, you know, well, everything dies, little Johnny. You know, yes, Jaden, your doggy will die just like your friend's dog died. You know, we have to be prepared for that. You know. I know it's sad, Elise, but someday when you die, you'll see your father again. You know, those sorts of things we say to our, our kids. And what I think that is, what I think that does is it creates 
what I'm calling a death mindset this as when we're kids that we have this not just with kids but that there's this through line of a mindset of death and that that mindset's not just descriptive that it's like prescriptive so the idea that everything dies doesn't just become a a fact it becomes like a way that we live our lives so I'll explain um, so even our spiritual lives I think are defined by a mindset of death uh, or formed around a mindset of death so for many of us uh, our first initiation into this mindset occurred when we maybe attended church when we were little and um, we learned about the story of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and that story, one of the, this interesting story, the first man and first woman in this garden paradise, um, taught us implicitly, implicitly that the originator of human death is God. And we learned, again, as a young kid, perhaps, we learned that not only do people die, but they die because God willed it that they would die. And God willed it to be so because of man's inability to follow God's rules and God's ways. And therefore, we learn implicitly, I'm not saying this is wrong, but we learn implicitly to associate God with death. And as a result, death becomes the through line. So what's most true for most of us is everything dies. And I mean that this is one thing that we know we know it. Everything dies. And um, it's not a matter of faith. It's a matter of knowledge. And it forms us. So the story be of life becomes people are dying. The earth is dying. Politics are destroying us, um, destroying our nation. You know, my job is killing me. My marriage is dying. I mean, like this idea of death kind of, you know, is a, a through line, a, a theme that we gauge our lives by and I think as I've been thinking about this scripture I think that this is the story that we align ourselves with I think most of us align ourselves with the story of of death implicitly not like explicitly it's not like we think about this like what's true about my life everything's dying you know but I think that if we pause and I think that's kind of the the theme but I think this is heretical because the way of God is always about resurrection. And so death is a character in the narrative. You know, death is certainly a character in our narrative. But the true story of the Hebrew and Christian scriptures is one of resurrection. That's the, that's the real hero of the story is not death, but resurrection. And we know this. But you can follow it through the scriptures. But think about, like, this is my experience. As I think about scriptures and I think about the highlights, I think about things like the fall. I think about the, the destruction in the flood. I think about um, famine. I think about plagues, slavery. Um, you know, that's, that war, that kind of stuff. Sin. Uh, angels of death crucifixion, Roman Empire, that, that's like, if, if I had to map things out, I probably would, that's probably how I would 
mark the chapters. Um, those are the dominating narratives or parts of the narrative. But after each of those seasons is what it really seems to me to be about. Like, yes, there's the fall, but then there's the flourishing of a family and a people, a, a new start of life. Um, you know, after the famine, uh, there's Joseph and, you know, the, the provision of food for the people. After slavery, there's freedom from oppression. After the crucifixion, there's resurrection. So the narrative of the scriptures, it seems to me, is always about resurrection. But it's hard for us to live that way because we have this mindset of death. We associate, we associate things with, I think the through line that we live by is, is one of death. And so it's hard because it's hard to find reminders of what, of this, of resurrection and life. It's, it's difficult when you turn on, like I have friends at, at work that we used to talk about what we had heard on NPR, but a couple of my friends are like, I don't listen to the news anymore because everything is just negative. And it doesn't matter if you're listening to NPR or, you know, Fox News or whatever. I mean, it's all, it just, it can sometimes feel like it's all bad and, and negative. Where do we find hope? You know, all that, that's the question. Well, the natural world is, this is all my fault. I just want you to know that. Whatever's happening is my fault. like wires and stuff going on. All right, I'm just going to, we're just going to deal with that. All right, so the natural world proclaims the truth of God. So when we're wondering, like, where do we find hope? We just look at the natural world. And in fact, I've been uh, enjoying sitting out here uh, over the last several weeks, months, because as I'm just sitting wherever I am and I just look up and some days the sky is just vivid blue and the trees and the lines of everything and you know, even today with the wind, I mean, it's just a reminder of the natural world. And so for a spiritual and religious culture like ours that has this core tenet that the universe and everything in it is crafted by the voice of God, the notion of resurrection or of new birth or rebirth, it should never really be far from our minds. I mean, like if we really believe that God created everything and the universe is in his hands and he spoke it with the word, the idea of resurrection should never really be far from us because it's all around us. And other places like in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul um, um, casts nature as the great evangelist, you know, that nature is like the first evangelist. So this is a, maybe a familiar passage to many of you from Romans chapter 1. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. That's from Romans chapter 1, verse 20. So resurrection is embedded in the natural world. It is embedded, it's interwoven into the life of the world, of the, of the earth. The seasons are a testament to resurrection. Uh, resurrection is why the pagans celebrated spring. Re resurrection is the reason we have Easter in springtime. Uh, resurrection is how the earth was designed. And we and the interesting thing to me is that we get we understand this to a certain extent. You know, we have house plants that we care for, and when the house plant starts to like seem like it's going to die, and we care for it or we move it to a different place, and then suddenly it 
grows again. We have little gardens in our yards. We, we go to farmers markets and we, um, you know, we participate in our own small ways in the natural world. Um, the grass grows brown in, gr in the winter and we don't say like, well, great, grass is dead, you know. No, we, we know it's gonna come back in some way. Um, you know, the trees are losing their leaves. We don't say like, oh my God, but the trees are dying. No, they're, it's, it's, it's just what they do, right? It's, we, 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 we don't even think about it. Um, and so it seems to me that resurrection should never surprise us. And yet it does over and over and over and over and over and over again. Not just, not in the natural world, but in our, in our, in our lives. So this is the rest of that passage that I just read from Romans chapter 1. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And so, just like we shouldn't have this death mindset, we also shouldn't have, according to this scripture, a nature mindset. Because, you know, we shouldn't worship nature, which I think is the other thing that we do. You know, everything seems to be dying. So then it's almost like we're worshiping death. Uh, no, we shouldn't worship death. Nature is a representative of God. It's the, and then we start to focus on nature instead. But in the arts, we don't revere the artist. We, we revere the artist. We don't revere the, the artwork. We don't, look at, we don't worship an artwork. We say, wow, this is a beautiful painting made by this person. You don't listen to a song and say, my gosh, this is a... <laughs> where did this song... This, is, this song is the truth of all life. No, we say this, the songwriter created a beautiful, a beautiful song. So every time you see yourself outside of nature, outside of God's created order, um, that's when you begin to, to kind of veer off the path. So we always have to be careful that we're not just seeing ourselves as, as humans that are separate from nature, but that we are actually a part of nature. I hope that makes sense. I think there was a comment that I was gonna make that I wanna make sure that I say clearly. Yeah, okay. So humans see ourselves as separate from nature. This is another problem that I think we, we have. We, we see our, that's the problem with dominion is that we see like there's nature and then there's us over it. And nature teaches us that we are not out, we, we are a part of, I mean what scripture says is that we are a part of, we are created, part of the created order. We are not just like separate from it. So nature teaches us that God is always doing a new thing, not just in the trees, but in, in life. Like it's a part of the way the created order works. So this is back to the scripture from today. See, I am doing a new thing. 
Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. So, the writer indicates that God is like a spring bubbling up from the ground, even in a wasteland. But we fear the wasteland because, see, we, this is, we fear the wasteland. The jackals or the owls, the predators, the, the scavengers, they don't fear the wasteland, the scripture implies. They don't fear it because they know that there's going to be water. They're going to find, you know, like there will be something for them to, to gather. But we fear the wasteland in our lives because we believe in death more than we believe in resurrection. So a couple of weeks ago, I was um, listening probably to NPR and I don't know where, I heard this uh, thing about the reefs around Bikini Island where the atomic bombs were, um, I don't know, where the practice bombs were dropped, you know, to explore. Uh, what they were going to do. <laughs> and at the time, they destroyed the reefs. But 70 years later, the reefs are not just like growing back, but they are like thriving. And the, the researchers that went and explored it were shocked because an atomic bomb had destroyed them. But then as they were left alone, they came back. And, and humans didn't do anything like to make them come back. They just came back on their own. And then similarly, another atomic um, or nuclear thing, um, Chernobyl. Um, the area surrounding Chernobyl is in, um, in Russia is a place that many people would associate with like post-apocalyptic desolation. But researchers have found that the land surrounding the plant, which has been off limits to humans for over three decades, has become a haven for wildlife so bison deer lynx and other animals roaming through these thick forests and this zone covers 2800 square kilometers of northern ukraine and it now represents the third largest nature reserve in mainland europe and has become an iconic experiment in rewilding again not because humans went and said like we need to reintroduce animal blah 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 that's just a, an example, and I don't understand all the implications to that. I'm just saying that that's an example of humans destroying something, and then it comes back. Nature, you know, nature, God brings it back. Redemption, resurrection, bubbling up from the ground. And so this, I, this image of I provide water in the wilderness, you know, I'm doing a new thing. See, I'm doing a new thing. It springs up. Do you not perceive it? It made me think about this place that Julie and I go uh, and our family has gone hiking in northern Michigan for as long as we've been together, um, which is over almost 35 years. So it's a place called Thornswift Nature Preserve. And this, this hike is along Lake Michigan. And it used to be a farm. And then a fire destroyed it. So it used, then it was a scar from a fire 
now it's forest again. And in each iteration of the land, there's this constant, which is these, the, I guess they're springs that just flow from the hillside through this area and then down into Lake Michigan. And the water is so clear, and the kids have always loved looking at how clear you know, the water is. There's nothing sullying it at all. And the water's always there. So through the snows of winter, the rains of spring, the ground is always replenished. The aquifer is restored. The spring is supported. And I, th I think if we can like shift from just thinking about the nature stuff to thinking about what that says about life in general, I think this is what life is in the spirit is. God says, behold, look, I'm doing a new thing. And God says in, in the text that the jackals and the owls get it. I just think that's so awesome. The jackals get it. The scavengers get it because they drink from the spring. And even they get it. So when humans take ourselves outside of nature, we lose the message of nature and we become afraid of all the death that we see everywhere. So, and I, I guess what I'm trying to say is that I think that's the spirit of this whole series that we've, that Melissa's been introducing us to is that we are not separate. We are a part of the natural world. So my question for us as I close is how might your life or my life, our lives, be transformed if we dared to live this different way? How, how might we be transformed if we saw ourselves as part of God's like creation story, part of nature, so part of the fact that like things restore and they resurrect and that death isn't the, the end story. How, how might it be just different? And, you know, 14 years ago, Julie and I were in a marriage crisis that, you know, many of you know about. Um, we were separated. We were strangers to one another after 16 years of marriage. And our commitment was hanging by a thread. And when we reconciled after four or five months, through the counsel of friends and therapists and our belief deep down that God was always writing this story of redemption. When we reconciled, there were many who were surprised and they called us courageous. They called us, you know, they said, you're so strong. Or they said, it was a miracle. And I get it, but Julie and I weren't shocked. And it was hard, but we were pleased. We were gratified. We were we, we knew and we had been counseled that God was always resurrecting things. I mean, that's what, what God does. He resurrects things. He doesn't destroy things. He resurrects them. So in our lives, we were able to see that just like the seed that grows out of the ground and, you know, grows a tree and then the tree drops seeds and grows another tree, that our, li our marriage could be restored. So we are so, all of us, I think, myself included, are so comfortable with death, death, so immersed in a culture of fear of death that we're often caught by surprise when it comes to the realities that the spiritual and physical realities of res resurrection and renewal, as if resurrection can only occur in the springtime, as if other parts of nature can rebound and renew and resurrect, but we must settle for death. And even like I was thinking about like this building, is it like a testament to this? 
you know, the building itself is a testament to redemption and restoration. Like you walk in here and you go, this is what the, this Baptist church, common ground church, Trinity church, this is the same thing? Like, yeah. And, you know, it's just, it's an example. A, a rede- it's a story of redemption. So, I want you to close your eyes just for a moment. I'm just going to close with a few questions for us. Just close your eyes. I want you to just ponder this for a moment. Where is resurrection happening right now in your life? Another question, where is something dying and you see something new growing in its place? Another question, where does death seem to be having the final word? In other words, what are you forgetting? Where are you forgetting that there's resurrection possible? Let's pray together. God, even today, we recognize that you're doing a new thing and that when you spoke to the people uh, of Israel, when you, over and over again, you echoed those words, see, I'm doing a new thing. Look, I'm doing a new thing. You thought everything was going to die, but I brought it back. What you intended for evil, God intended for good. This is the story that we need to align our lives with. And so today, Lord, I pray that you would help us to kind of rest in the breeze and rest in the rustle of the leaves and in the grass and in the flowers and in the the chirps of the birds and all the things that remind us that uh, you are a sustainer not a destroyer and that you are a provider and in our way in our own minds and hearts we ask you to guide us in that truth today and we pray that in Jesus name Amen All right, take out your uh, Lord's table, table liturgy